everybody, and welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people. That's us in your sweatpants. We are product folks here to share what we've learned often the hard way over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from grizzled vets with the scars to prove it. With me, as always, is Ira Johal. Hey, Ira, what's happening? Hi, I'm here. Let's talk about Twitter. Oh my gosh, Twitter. <laughs> As if not everyone, everyone is literally talking about Twitter, but maybe not on Twitter. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. I, I Yeah, actually, it's interesting. Some of the like most quality discourse is not happening on Twitter, but, yeah. um, uh, but we're all talking about it. It's been uh, quite the topic and we're looking forward to discussing it with all of you. You know, I think what we can do is try to be pretty thoughtful about it and admit upfront that this isn't an episode where every problem about Twitter is documented and every solution is covered. Uh, but we think it's a good place to start and it's a better place to discuss it than Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. shocker. we're looking forward to, uh, yeah, shocker. <laughs> we're looking forward to discussing that with all of you. Before we do that, a word from our sponsors, us. Thank you for giving us a listen. The best ways you can help us keep this party going is to head to our Substack page and subscribe at ProductHappyHour.com. Paid subscriptions are either $5 a month or $30 a year. It's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to support us and keep this party going. Finally, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening anywhere, anytime. All right. Twitter turmoil has many dimensions. Today, we're tuning out the chaos of the takeover and are focusing on the product and asking ourselves, how can we fix Twitter? We will start with identifying what are Twitter's core problems and then walk our walk through the process of building out a product strategy using the approach that we discussed in episode seven, which is the kernel approach. We will define a diagnosis, then a guiding policy and then finish off with some coherent actions that we can take. This is happy hour, so we first have to start off with some drinks. Ira, what are you drinking? I am drinking a gin and tonic with like Snap. a lot of lemons in it. I mean, this is mostly gin, very little tonic. <laughs> um, but I need this because this like Twitter chaos is a very disturbing. And I was just thinking like, what if I was a PM at Twitter? I know that they that they're there and my heart goes out to them but like imagine if you were like the only PM there you would need several gin and tonics maybe Lots like every day <laughs> what are you drinking multiple times a day uh yeah uh well for today's pod I'm drinking um wine today it's oh. a cab sav from one of the wineries that we visited in Napa called Tambor Bay they have uh beautiful desert racing horses there which is uh which is really neat it's a great mm. place to visit definitely recommend uh i think that's probably the most pretentious thing i've said on this pod but <laughs> the one's pretty good um <laughs> uh, all right and uh i should tell everyone that today's drinking game is going to be based on the word social uh so good luck everybody <laughs> good luck. Uh, every time either of us says social, we're drinking and you should play along too, if you're listening. And if you don't have a drink and you're in the car, take a swig of your coffee. You'll be super buzzed thinking about Twitter in the office. <laughs> it's going to be great. 
Yeah, I heard we missed a few drinking cues in that how to say no episode. So yeah, dude, I'm going to be extra vigilant this time around. I'm going to be policing you. Like right. a Twitter monitor. Uh, Just kidding. They don't have those. <laughs> uh, all right. Sounds good. Let's get into it. All right. Um, so before we write a product strategy, we need to know what the actual F is going on from a quant and qualitative perspective. You know this if you've listened to any of our episodes. So I say we start there. I can cover the quant and you hit the qual. What do you think? Sounds great. Let's go for it. All right. So let's start with users. How many users do you guess Twitter has, Ajay? For reference, Instagram has 1 billion active users. I'm going to go with 100 billion. <laughs> nice. Nice, sir. No. Twitter has <laughs> almost 200 million users, um, and about 40 or so million of those are daily active users. And while we're talking about users, um, a majority of them are U.S. adults between 25 and 34. And, you know, that's I guess that's like roughly 40% of their users also, Gen Zers are on Twitter, and most of them spend an average of about one hour a week on Twitter. Um, at least that was the 2021 numbers. I was surprised by this. Are you surprised by this, this Gen Z number? I am surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised. Actually, was surprised because it seems higher than I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe thought. it's inflated because of pandemic stuff. Like, they're just like bored in the house, bored in the house, bored. Maybe. I, I think there might be some other reasons. We'll get into it a little bit. I was surprised by how high it is. Mm -hmm. um, another piece of quant is that 10% of Twitter users are responsible for 92% of tweets. This I actually really believe. You do? Um, yeah, I do. Because when I'm scrolling through a timeline, I it's definitely very clear to me that the tweets that are prioritized in my timeline are not from like my immediate network. Okay. They're clearly so from like an algorithm kind of selecting whatever is going on at the time and and bringing it to my feed, you know what I mean? I see. So so this must like not include retweets. This must just be like original hardcore the tweet. Yeah, although retweets do show up in my timeline, um but I'd be curious to understand the algorithm behind it because it's probably accounting for how many times a tweet has been liked, viewed, retweeted. And then that's used to determine what tweets should show up there. So okay, I see a retweet, but it's like not, you know, it's not from like my immediate friend group. It's just from, it's from the network known as Twitter. And, <laughs> um, and it actually kind of speaks to one of the potential problems that we're going to cover a little bit because that's constructed in a certain way, you know, given the model. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for like most of the companies that I've worked on, they've been platform companies or like middlemen. And we generally see there like the Pareto principle, which is like 20% of the inputs dictate 80% of the outputs or outcomes. Like if you used eBay, like 80% of sales came from 20% of the sellers. That's generally how it tends to be. Yeah, it's a good point. In the travel space, we had a similar similar thing. I think I think most marketplaces are like that. Twitter's kind of like a marketplace of ideas. So yeah. Yeah, it makes sense that it would apply as well. Uh all right. So let's get in some qualitative data from a US 
uh, adults poll, the biggest problem on Twitter is inaccurate or misleading information. It's fascinating, especially yeah. given events of the last uh, five or so years. And 9% of U.S. adults have a very favorable view of Twitter, which is like pretty much rock bottom. That's so is, bad. Uh, that's Jeez. bad. That's really bad. Um, also, doom scrolling is a thing. And I think it kind of relates to these previous two points. And if you haven't heard the term doom scrolling, uh, I actually think it's probably what a lot of Gen Zers are doing on Twitter, um, where you're like scrolling Twitter to see doom, basically yeah. what it sounds yeah. like um, when it's, you know, a riot at the Capitol or whatever terrible thing is happening. Like, well, I'm sure people are doom scrolling about what's going on in Twitter the company right now yeah um, just like people want to see the chaos and they want to see it from different angles and they want to know just how bad it is based on like their regular barometer of what people are normally talking about versus what they're talking about when shit hits the fan <laughs> yeah and i think it's actually uh again i think it's a side effect of of the model you get this sort of behavior because of because of the way it's constructed that lack of a favorable view and the concern about inaccurate or misleading information is likely, you know, due to two bigger problems. Data removal requests total roughly 45,000 per quarter over 2021, uh, which is almost doubled compared to five years ago. And actually, you know, the data removal requests, it happens when you run a platform like this. Yeah. You're going to run into situations where people request certain things um that you're gonna have to abide by but the way this is done where you're actually making requests to twitter is is definitely unique it's not um it's very different than other platforms right yeah <laughs> like okay i'm gonna admit something super embarrassing Let's do it. all right whatever it's just gonna be on the internet forever but um i was like in a really shitty relationship and i was so sick of seeing my ex's stuff on Instagram, but I like refused to like, you know, like remove him because I was like, I don't need to remove him. Like he should remove himself. So I just reported his ass and he didn't do oh. anything bad, but I reported him. Like, I wonder how, what percentage of this like data removal is just like, like, uh, I just don't like you. <laughs> I don't know. It's, feel bad. It, it might be. First of all, I'm pretty sure you're not the only person that's ever done that. Um, Thanks, Edgy. Second, I wonder how much of it is like related to inaccurate or misleading information relative to those types you, of situations that are. Yeah, you just don't agree, you know. Yeah, or you don't share the same view on the data that's being shared, right? Um, or uh, things of that nature. So, you know, I'm sure there's different reasons for it. Totally. Okay. So these are some interesting tidbits. So to recap, they've got a ton of users. 10% are actively driving like 90% of the original content. Um, and shocker, the need to remove content has grown exponentially. Um, yeah. Would you uh, sign up to be their head PM? <laughs> cool. Let's go. Well, I will say, I will say it's, um, it is a fascinating problem. I mean, even though there are all these problems in general on Twitter, it still is a 
really great product. You know, I use it uh, a bunch and uh, you can learn really great stuff. You get a, a pulse on the culture that's that's hard to get elsewhere. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to like, but <laughs> there's a lot of significant challenges. Uh, let's start breaking in, breaking down the user problems, shall we? Yeah, uh, let's go into it. Yeah. Help zero in on some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay. So first, kind of like the umbrella, a point is that, you know, content moderation is an issue, but let, let's be a little more nuanced. Like first, let's say that one of the key user problems is that the company and the platform were kind of built to be unpoliceable. Like anyone can say anything. And that was kind of the appeal. Um, and now it's kind of difficult to pivot a product that was built on this core principle to something that is like moderated or able to be controlled from different arms and different facets. So some tactics that they've used is like banning people. They've, you know, Ajay, you mentioned like they've had a few misinformation identification features. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of this umbrella problem. Like it was built to be unpoliceable um, and now there is a need to moderate more specifically and target and quickly. The second uh, user problem is related to bots, scams, or just like in general, spam. So like fake accounts, dangerous backlinks, like um, this again ties back to this like issue with there's not enough moderation on Twitter and therefore there's a trust issue. I would say like those are like the two kind of like big, big problems. Are, do you see any other ones? Yes, definitely. I wanted to backtrack a bit and just talk about the uh, first point about how it was originally built to be unpoliceable. I, I thought this was such a great point because people forget um, what the intention was be behind Jack Dorsey, Ev Williams, like going in and building this platform. And yeah, the intent was like, here is this social platform where it's unpoliceable. You can say Say what you're feeling, say what you want, and you know it's out there. Um, and and Twitter is a place to experience it and do it, and then to go from that to doing basically what they've been trying to do for the last few years to try to moderate it is like quite the quite the left turn <laughs> that doesn't seem to be going so hot. Yeah, um, good point. And uh, so yeah, I think that was such a great point. It's like. It's evolved, but people forget where it started, which is everyone should have a voice and there shouldn't be these weird ivory towers for people to get their opinions out or their thoughts out. Well, we got a lot of towers now. <laughs> we got yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. So what did we do? We yeah. created a bunch of ivory towers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I also uh, think the bot and scam problem, just quickly, uh, yeah. bot and scams, um, it exists. Uh, but there's a certain set of users where that's uniquely a problem. Like crypto users, um, there's lots of bots. If you're super famous, there's like bots following you around. For normal people, they seem to deal with it less, but it is definitely an issue if you get yeah. into any of that. Uh, well, crypto is kind of hot, so you're probably going to get into it in some way. Then you know, you're going to get affected by it. That's originally why I joined Twitter is... I wanted to get some of the insights from some people who are like making purchases or sharing investment advice about crypto. And it was nuts how much like fake crap there is about crypto. It's like, it was almost like sifting. I was, it was almost not worth it, you know, unless you 
got a tweet from someone who was verified and it was original content, just like, don't look at the comments, like, which defeats the whole purpose, you know? Yeah. And then we're going to talk about verification here in a minute. Yeah. Free speech versus healthy speech. Um, obviously, this is a pretty hot debate, hot topic of debate. And related to free speech and, and healthy speech is moderation issues. Like we've been kind of joking about, there's this creation of ivory towers to deal with moderation right now. A lot of that's just done, you know, by Twitter themselves, um, which is different and uh, probably creating more problems than yeah. than uh, than necessary, and it's different than, than other platforms. Um, I I think it's also interesting how someone like Trump, somebody else that we love to talk about, uh, basically took over this platform. And the way that was dealt with is indicative of the problem that they have with free speech versus healthy speech. And it's actually potentially a symptom of their model, which mm -hmm. is ad-based. And, mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Okay. So we covered free speech versus healthy speech. Uh, trust. Trust has been broken with half of the users in Twitter's largest geo, the United States. You know, we were talking about Trump a little bit, you know, basically when they started kicking Trump and others of that political spectrum off of the platform, you've basically started alienating a lot of people in that country hmm. that do feel like they're part of that group from using Twitter. You know, either right. they just stopped using it or they went to Truth Social or Parler or some of these other alternatives. Right. Um, and then the side effect of that is that now you're not getting the full discourse. If Twitter is the place to get the the sort of full spectrum of the discourse in the country uh, or all the countries that are on the platform, now you're not getting it because basically, you know, a bunch of people, you just kick them off. Kicking them off was a simple solution to a much broader complex problem where you built this product that's optimized for one thing and uh, that's ads and ads need attention. So uh, you get what you get. The other thing that happened is that Twitter inserted itself into the discourse um, and inserted itself into the verification process. You know, right. we were talking about this a little earlier before we hopped on how verification initially was meant to be another one of those ivory tower things mm -hmm. where Twitter gets to say who truly can be verified and not verified. On the surface, they make it seem like it's this like uh, very holy process. We don't know for sure, but it sounds like what might have been happening behind the scenes is, is like people are paying for verification. Yeah. Sometimes $15,000 or more to get verified on the platform. Um, you know, $15,000, you could just pay like engineer Sam $15,000 and get a blue check mark. I'll just recap essentially what's shown up on Twitter about this topic. Apparently people were asking about, uh, this rumor that they had heard where people were paying $15,000 to employees at Twitter to get verified. And Elon Musk just answered. Yep. <laughs> so there's probably more digging to be done, yeah. but it, I can imagine it happening for sure. If you are setting up a platform where you're the ultimate moderator, well, you know, that gives you a lot of power and, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this sort of stuff, maybe not to this degree, but if this sort of stuff is happening behind the scenes. Hmm. Rough. What did you think about those two points? 
these well, are probably sensitive too. But. I mean, yeah, these are these are big problems, and I'm I'm literally trying to put myself in the shoes as like the product person that was tasked with figuring these out, and you know, it's not like a feature release kind of problem. <laughs> um, figuring out free speech versus healthy speech, like they're going to be probably big long-term and short-term solutions that we're going to have to work on. But I think as we get into this process of breaking down the product strategy, it's important to think about what's critical to fix immediately or what is the symptom versus like, like what is the side effect and what is the cause? Like, I think I'm trying to use that framework. Like, are these uh, symptoms of some deeper root thing, deeper root issue embedded in the product. Um, are so, you know, we're not just chasing our tails, cleaning up the things that are going on around, like cleaning up the content. Like how could we fundamentally change a platform to combat these problems? hundred percent. Okay. Um, all right. We've got a lay of the land of what the user problems are. Do we want to cover the business problems? Yeah, we can talk about the business problems. They're it's important to know that like, you know, Twitter is not a nonprofit. <laughs> They're trying to make some money. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think you kind of hit the, the key ones. Um, you know, they have an issue with monetizing ads because they're losing users. Also, it's kind of hard to be contextually relevant, um, which is kind of necessary for ad targeting. You know, it's just a bunch of discord course and you're like, doing textual matching that could be mm -hmm. really hard. Uh, you know, I've been marketed on like some of my <laughs> crypto followers for like lots of weird financial instruments. You know, they're just like, okay, yeah. crypto financial instruments. And like, also here are these like weird fringe services you might like, cause you seem weird and fringe, you know, you like crypto. <laughs> so targeting is just like really, really bad. Yeah. But yeah. Any other business problems you can mention? The ad model brings about less desired outcomes, um, like the Trump example, where he basically took over the platform for a while. That was not just because like Trump is like a prolific tweeter. He is, um, yeah. but he basically learned how to game the algorithm, right? He yeah. created content. Also, he's a public figure, so uh, of course that that helps a lot. But he created content that was naturally being pumped up by yeah. the algorithm yeah. to the point where, like, basically before he became president, and then when he was president, you couldn't get him off of your Twitter feed. Oh my gosh! You <laughs> have to share how you tried and then failed to get rid of your your Trumpian Twitter feed. Hundred percent. Like I, I, I unfollowed him, you know, because I don't uh -huh. want to hear any of that crap. Um, and then um, after I unfollowed him, uh, he would keep showing up in my feed because people would retweet him, and then provide their own comments. And the fact of the matter was, whether you love him or hate him, he sells ads on that platform because it gets people coming back to see whatever crazy stuff he said. Okay. And that gets attention, which sells advertising hmm. and like doom scrolling. The thing that we were talking about with doom scrolling is a incredibly profitable behavior for yeah. Twitter because right. you're in there doom scrolling everything 
then they're able to sell you ads. You're scrolling, and, period. And yeah, yeah. If, if it's sticky because it's provocative, if it's sticky because you think he's an idiot or you think he's, you know, a national treasure, it doesn't matter. You're on the platform. Eyeballs are there. Here's an ad. Right. Which is totally, which is likely the disconnect between why people love different products like this hmm. and then what the model is actually generating in terms of the product experience. Right. But what people want is like, you know, when they when they go to like Instagram, TikTok, they're going to like enjoy themselves, escape, connect with others, um, you know, and that's not that's not what you're getting here. You're nope. basically just getting doom scrolling and like yelling and people uh going at each other. There's great content on Twitter actually, but it all gets drowned out by by all this stuff. Because that's what sells ads. Totally. All right. So we've covered user problems, business problems, and let's get into how to break down the product strategy kernel. Do you want to give us a recap of what is in the product strategy kernel? Yes. So there's three things that you need in a product strategy kernel. You need a diagnosis of the set of problems you're trying to solve through your strategy, um, the guiding policies your strategy and then from those guiding policies you create a set of coherent actions uh, that basically you know carry through on the policy and the the strategy ultimately that you're setting so diagnosis guiding policies set of coherent actions okay nice all Shall right i start us with the diagnosis please doctor okay well <clears throat> Again, this is a starting point. I don't think we can say that we have everything figured out um, because these things are definitely more complicated and nuanced. But from where we sit, it comes down to three things. Content moderation is a barrier to usability and trust. You know, we talked a, a little bit about this earlier where the current procedure for content moderation is breaking trust with users, it's causing usability problems in the product. So that's one thing. Uh, content moderation may limit appeal of a free speech platform. That's number two. So if you're truly free speech, if you're interjecting yourself into every conversation and trying to moderate it, mm -hmm. uh, that's probably not representative of free speech. And three, the ad model is not working well for what Twitter needs to be. Twitter needs to be a product that people enjoy using. I mean, people don't, uh, one, but it also needs to be informative with information that you can trust and it needs to have the full discourse in it. And the model, the ad model that's there is really limiting its ability to, to be that product. Did I get it? I like that. I like that. I mean, for the time that we have and the viewpoint that we have, we're not Twitter employees, we obviously don't know the complexities. Like, I'm sure we would all be offended if our companies were broken down in this way. But uh, I mean, it's a it's a good start based on like our perspective as users and our perspective of like um, what the issues are based on the quant and qual that we shared earlier in this episode. If you have other diagnoses and would love to talk about it, feel free to comment on the video, on the post. Let us know what you think because uh, you know. Like we said, this is probably not the end-all be-all list, but 
Yeah. We'd love to learn more from everybody else. Or tweet us at Product Happy Hour. <laughs> yeah, at Product Let Happy HR. Tweet us. <laughs> I'd be. I, we might be there more. I, I mean, it's been it's been really interesting. Some of the new stuff seems really really interesting. So yeah, maybe we'll be there more. We'll see. Let's get into guiding policies. So first, um, I know this is like popular and maybe even cliche at this point, but no one likes ads, man. <laughs> and ads that are targeted poorly, um, they just do nothing for both sides. Also, not to mention this whole issue with brands kind of being scared to maintain relationships with Twitter because of the trust and usability things. Um, so I basically we can think we can say as a guiding policy, we cannot rely on ads as our main revenue stream. And so we have to look to a model that maybe provides more regular revenue, um, is based on you know what we're already good at, which is acquiring users. Like we said, we're in the hundreds of millions of users now. Um, so pivoting to subscriptions might be a better idea. Ajay, what are your thoughts on a subscription um, as an alternative policy to using ads to make money? I definitely think it's a model that gets you out of what the problems with Twitter are right now. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think if everybody was subscribing to Twitter, you would still want um, people to stick around, but then concepts like lifetime value and, um, you know, goodwill with the brand and, and, and things like that start to come more into play when, when you're a subscriber. Oh, cause they might um, leave if you just like change stuff or you don't deliver consistently or you're unreliable and you get these churned subscribers. Yeah. If you had a subscription product and 91% of your subscribers didn't view you in a very favorable light, you're probably <laughs> not going to have those subscribers for very long. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it probably injects more of what, you know, the product needs um, because you're, your teams will probably care more about keeping subscribers on. So I do think it can solve some of what is being experienced and hopefully also gets you away from like pumping up a bunch of content that's like just bumming everybody out yeah. and making, making it so that, yeah, people might come and, you know, you might get the scrolls and eyeballs and stuff, um, but then you're getting this you're still getting this side effect that you might be able to eliminate with, with subscribers and it's returning, it's recurring revenue. So you don't have to be dependent on, on ads to get that. Got it. Okay. So second guiding policy, and remember you shouldn't have a ton of guiding policies. You should have like a few key ones that are going to help you make decisions about what actions to take. So there are probably more, but these we see are like, okay, the two important ones. Um, the second one is free speech and enabling the community to keep it healthy. So free speech is like kind of a loaded word. I also almost say it's like a trigger for some people. The draw to Twitter was anyone can say anything. Um, people have a platform. You have to be a celebrity, a pundit, someone with a big ass hedge fund before. 
And now like all kinds of people have followings and interesting things to share, uh, which communities are getting built around. Um, So yeah, using free speech in a way um, to keep the community healthy rather than um, to make it like marred um, in issues is going to be a guiding policy. So maintaining this kind of core principle of letting people share their perspectives in a way that is productive um, and conducive to people learning, growing, building communities, sharing ideas. Any thoughts on that guiding policy, Ajay? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think the enabling the community bit is probably the most important um, because so far it's been Twitter injecting themselves into that conversation, creating ivory towers where they can like decide who's allowed and what's allowed and what's not allowed. And a lot of it is like basic stuff. I mean, of course, things like uh, child pornography and, and uh, threats of violence and stuff like that, you know, should be of course moderated, but you and I have both been a part of marketplace operators. Um, You know, I was at Verbo, you were at eBay. And, and uh, so when you're at a market operator, especially in the U S and in the U S we all are very inherently distrustful of authority. Um, Yep. When you're a marketplace operator and you start doing things like, Hey, trust us, we're just going to moderate this for you, or we're going to do this for you. And we're going to set this policy and you should just trust us and follow it. The inherent reaction is going to be like, no, yeah. (laughs) Who are you? Um, what gives you the right? What gives you the um, the authority? And you could basically see the exact same thing happening at Twitter. You know, it's a marketplace of ideas in a lot of ways. So um, by injecting themselves into this process and making it uh, so that they are the ultimate authority on who stays, who goes, what content stays and goes, um, that that actually makes the situation worse. And by enabling community... It allows the community to help uh, police those things, not just police them, but make it a great place for everyone to be able to experience Twitter and all the great things it has to offer. So I think that's the key bit. Okay, wonderful. All right. So the last part of the kernel is a set of coherent actions. This is what they rely on product managers to do. Like, what the hell are we going to do? Thank you very much for the research. Thank you very much for the guiding policy, Prester President. But what are we going to (laughs) do? I can't tell you how lovely it is to talk about the quant and qual and just like, oh, there's so many problems. But it's your responsibility as a product person (laughs) to actually solve them. So at some point, you have to make that pivot to like, you know, boots on the ground. What are we doing? Um, In terms of coherent actions, this is a bit provocative, but I have seen this work in other places. Um, So my first coherent action would be to use groups um, as like community moderators as a way to combat some of the issues related to unmoderatable or unpoliceable is leverage the community. We've seen this be done in like Reddit, for example. We talked a little bit about that, but basically use a community to moderate the community. And then maybe there are some very strict bars that are set by Twitter um, that will say, okay, like, well, abuse, 
um, maybe means different things or sexual abuse or like pornography and, and maybe we'll set some bars there. That would be my first action is to leverage the people who love Twitter are on it um, to moderate it. Thoughts? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, um, you're kind of seeing some interesting glimmers of hope there for what's coming to Twitter, like they're shipping community notes as a way for the community to comment on tweets. So rather than doing what they were doing before, where they would, you know, force the removal of tweets um, or have, you know, them themselves putting in warnings that like this tweet has um, misinformation in it and things like that. Hmm. Now they're starting to use community notes as a way for the community to be able to comment, provide feedback that like, Hey, yeah, the information in here isn't entirely accurate. And in that way, it's kind of, it's less like, it's less about Twitter, the company and more about Twitter, the community, which is, uh, which is really great and getting more, uh, groups involved to to help you do that is is such a great thing. I'd love to also see like the the bars being set by the community. Basically, the mm. community figuring out what those bars should be. Not not uh, Twitter, the company having to get involved in every bar that's defined. Of course, there's limits like the U.S. law, yeah, um, and laws in other countries. We were talking about that a little earlier. Yep, still prevent certain things. Uh, which they should, but you could have the community get some tools to help you manage that. If this failed, why would it fail, in your opinion, this action? Um, I could see it going different ways. Uh, one way that it could go is that groups are too aggressive about what they police. Hmm. And, um, you know, so I could see... Uh, I could see groups getting too aggressive about that. And then you're kicking off, you know, misinformation on the platform. Right. But you could also manage that by saying, you know, Hey, we're, we're not actually going to kick anything off the platform. So the tweets are the tweets, right? Okay. I and mean, you could even manage that by like putting the tweets on a blockchain hmm. and just saying tweets are the tweets. You make yeah. a tweet. Here's a record. Here's a record. It's going to be on the record forever. Yeah. So, Sorry, but then the community has a role in saying in providing context. Um, like if somebody is using a slur on Twitter, you could it's still going to be there, but you could say like, yes, back then at this point in time, this person was, you know, doing X, Y, Z or the situation at the time is different than it is now. You know, you see that in other platforms. It's fairly it's fairly acceptable to say you know, it was a different time. Um, so it's, it's here for the historical record, but you know, I, th I think there's, there's lots of different ways of trying to manage that. The other way is that it could be too lax. And then you run afoul of law of, of, uh, the laws of a country. Um, and that you probably do need to have some experts on staff less to police themselves, but more to help the community figure out what that is. I like that. Wine's kicking in. <laughs> Oh my God. How many times have we, we said even been social? playing our game? Shit. How many times do we say it? I don't know. You have to chug now. You have to chug. We have to just chug this whole. Okay. Let's Sorry. go. It's tough. It's such an interesting topic. We basically ignored our whole drinking game. Social, social, <laughs> social. 
We need moderators is what we need. <laughs> All right. When you get to the office after your drive, just take a shot of espresso. I know. Take a couple shots of espresso. We'll cover it all. We're talking about policing right. and we can't even police ourselves. And we're talking about using the community. Look at us. We're such hypocrites. That's why we need help from the community Jeez. to help us be policed. Otherwise, um, you know, we're going to we're going to have a hard time. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we should get people to tally up how many times we said a word in an episode, and then later on in the next episode, we have to drink. Yeah, publish it. <laughs> publish our missed social counts, everybody, and we will pay down this drinking debt in episode 16. Guaranteed. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So how might some of these groups take shape on a social media platform? I think it's... Yeah, it's difficult to kind of say, but like, okay, let's say we have to present a strategy and take our best guess. So <laughs> you have to come up with something. All right. To recap, we're saying that the issues of trust and misinformation can be policed by the community. Um, perhaps this community can be bifurcated into sets of groups with shared interests, and then they might have a level or depth of understanding for specific topics, how they should be moderated. Like, oh, like certain people can identify that this is crypto spam and other people cannot, right? Um, so how, like you asked the question, how might these groups take shape? So I, I've seen on other platforms that I've worked on and that I've used um, that these are kind of like organically created and it's kind of hard to say like, okay, you're a crypto expert if you've done these like blah, blah, blah. Um, like for example... On eBay, we have a community for categories. People are really invested in the health of the category, keeping counterfeits off um, to increase the visibility of their authentic X, right? So believe it or not, we had like community boards that were moderated for everything from like special pottery glass to like niche sneakers, um, and it was on a volunteer basis. We provided nice. them some limited infrastructure to like sign up to be a moderator. And then they had some responsibilities. And then we had a group which was called community management. So it was started on a voluntary basis. There were some minimum bar requirements that you had to meet. Um, and I think Reddit has something similar, right? You have a moderator for each subreddit. It's a combination of machine learning rules, but also these kind of mod posts that are humans and machines. It starts off all organically. There is a human in the loop, but some of these things can be mechanized over time. Uh, so I, th mm -hmm. I, I guess that I hope that answers your question, but that's kind of like what I was thinking about how groups might take shape organic to start mechanized um, in the long run. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense in the sense that the people that are in these groups or basically the, the machines that are trained to address issues in this group are the ones that are experts in the in the issues that right. you're likely going to run across in the in the platform so and maybe they're more gets, incentivized to do it because they're participating yeah, they in the more. community yeah it, it reminds me a lot of, of wikipedia in a lot of ways where like i use wikipedia and everybody on earth <laughs> i think at this point uses wikipedia because it's a reliable source of data the community cares to keep it curated and it's being actively curated and sure somebody can put in a bunch of misinformation, but then it's yeah, addressed by the community. It's either taken down or adjusted. So it makes sense that the people that care about it the most should be the ones helping 
to keep it accurate and make sure that it's a it's a great product to use. So I think it makes sense. Now I think we'd probably have to figure out like how best to get those communities involved and and groups involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you help them be engaged in the conversation on Twitter without you know actively censoring information or or um, you know getting too involved in the discourse or, or yeah with great um, power comes great responsibility. Power. So that's that we. You would probably have to think, uh, or we would, we, since we're both product managers at, at Twitter right now, we'd probably have to think more about how best to, how best to do that. Um, but with the overall guiding policy, see what I did there, of free speech <laughs> and enabling the community. So previously, the the guiding policy was Twitter is responsible for those things. Now we're shifting it and saying. The community is responsible. So as long as we're doing that, I think uh, it makes sense. Okay. Last coherent action. Launch a subscription. Would you launch a subscription, Ajay? I definitely would. But I would think long and hard about what people are paying for. Yeah. What is the value? Is there... Um, What's the carrot here? What, and what is the yeah. unpaid subscriber getting? Ooh. Yeah, we should we should think harder about it. I would say there are some potentially simple solutions. So if your guiding policy is that your ad model or your your strategic problems or your diagnosis of of the problems includes the fact that the ad model is not working well for what Twitter needs to be. I need to shift more to subscriptions. I think one straightforward way is to just uh, get rid of ads if you're a subscriber. Um, and yeah. that gets you a reason to pay. You know, I would love, like, I there's lots of things that I pay for to get the ads off of them. Yes, I know you always do that. You are you will do Constantly. it just to get rid of the ads. You're so good. I wish I was like a little more like open. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to pay for this. But then I hate I fucking it. I hate ads. I hate, I hate <laughs> I YouTube ads, man. I will say, I will say just as an aside, I love like there's some places where ads are really good, like Instagram ads. Excellent. They're so good. <laughs> you but... buy a lot of tech stuff, though. I do. I just <laughs> bought something last week off of, off of Instagram ads. <laughs> <laughs> they totally got me. So we'll play on Instagram. But you know, in general, I will I will pay to remove ads off okay. the platform. I just think they're distracting and um I would pay to to get right. ads off of Twitter. Um so so for certain things like that, I would pay for. Okay. Um what about access to expert groups or uh yeah. verified leaders in a specific topic category concept bursting keyword space 100 percent. i would pay for something like that i mean part of what makes twitter really fun so trying to get out of that unfavorable bucket into the favorable bucket mm-hmm. is trying to help enable people to do things that they really enjoy about the platform right okay and some of what i uh, a lot of what i really enjoy on the platform is getting advice from experts uh, in their fields and learning more about 
how to be a product manager or how to do things in engineering or design. Yep. Um, understanding world problems, you know, understanding the news of the day, mm-hmm. why things are moving in the stock market the way they are. I would love to get better access to the people creating that type of content, you know, even being able to message them directly yeah. and get out of the, um, out of the free DMS into like a, like maybe paid DMS or boosted DMS. Cool. So this is like, to those folks, yeah, I would pay for that for sure. This is like competing then with like the discord and Patreon models, um, of the tech world. Like you get blah, blah, blah access um, original exclusive gated content. Um, okay. So this makes a lot of sense yeah. to me because it, I think that model's already been proven. Um, only fans, it works for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it, sure I think does. discord is a growing space, right? So you get access yep. to community conversations, expert, whatever, Um, And I I like what you said, like, okay, so if this is a marketplace of ideas and some of those ideas are more valuable than just the mass of ideas, um, then how do we monetize um, those valuable ones? Do you give everybody a chance to be followed? Like, so we're thinking about like, okay, I pay Twitter to get access to Twitter, but then who do I get access to? Is it a pay per person model? Is it a pay per group model? Mm. Those are harder questions. Uh, they are harder questions. I would love to experiment more with introducing products for like pay for group or pay per user. Um, I could definitely see that being, you know, um, being worth testing. I would also say there's like, there are power users on Twitter, right? And, yeah. and if we're thinking about this in terms of like a, a content marketplace, there are the people on the one side of the marketplace, which is the creators of that content. And mm-hmm. then there's the people on the other side, which is the consumers of that content. Mm. So from a creator's perspective for, you know, if you're like creating a lot of content and it's actually fairly difficult to manage and you want to get better analytics about how your tweets performed yeah. relative to everything else and how they rank and all that sort of stuff. That's all super important if you're creating a lot on Twitter. So I could, I would pay for getting that type of information because that type of information could be really helpful to my business. And I think they do some of this, but you know, expanding on that even more, maybe going down market. So maybe you're doing that for a lot of like big enterprise companies um, but not for, you know, individual creators, Okay, like going down market could be really helpful. And then on the power user front for, um, for users using Twitter, there's a lot of features that I go to third parties for and actually interestingly pay them for. Yeah. Yeah. That same, I would dude. love to just get on Twitter. Same, um, totally same. Uh, YouTube TV has, Okay, they have their content juggernauts making TV shows that you can only get if you buy YouTube TV. Of course, they gate things like, you know, streaming cable stuff like sports and everything. But yeah, in that marketplace, in that creator economy, they've put a paywall in between the people that they think have the biggest draw and the most likelihood to have uh, developed and maintain a community that was built on YouTube. Uh, why couldn't we do it at Twitter? I think that's a question that um, 
we probably couldn't answer in the time that we have now, but I do think it is one that it'd be really interesting to see how it evolves. I think some of the ideas that Elon has is like, okay, pay for verification, make it the app of mm-hmm. everything except crypto, which I please accept Dogecoin. There, it is in the toilet. <laughs> somebody, somebody do something for crypto. Yeah. Oh man, cryptos. Uh, it, it's been a real party lately. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think like there's, there's a lot of utility that's currently being outsourced elsewhere that could be part of a consumer subscription that I would gladly pay for. I'd gladly pay for getting rid of ads. I would gladly pay for things like unrolling tweets, you know, unraveling threads, saving them later. Um, Look at all these features. Yeah. These are all things that are currently outsourced that don't need to be. Okay. Would provide a lot of value as a subscriber. All right. Well, so did we fix Twitter? Maybe one last thing that I was going to mention was like, I would love to have like a happy thread. It would be really fun to be like, yeah, I don't want the like mean people just being mean. There's like a default feed for Twitter, but maybe if there was like a happy feed or like a learning (laughs) feed, yeah, those are actually like, like you're talking about groups. Yeah. Like different feeds, vibe Um, feeds, happy vibe vibe feeds. There you go. I mean, I would pay for some of those types of features or or gladly have them as part of my subscription to be able to like basically, you know, take the entirety of Twitter and then slice it and dice it oh how I God. would want. Um, AJ, because I think that's so yeah. cool. We could build a machine learned model that can detect tweet thread vibe and then just yeah. partition Twitter, like you said. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's do it. Elon, hire us. Vibe detection, vibe threads. That's right. Yeah. I think it'd be really fun to just, yeah, take take control of basically what you're experiencing, what kind of communities you want to check in on. Do you want to check in on the news? Do you want to check in on stock? Or if you do want to doom doom scroll, like you can partition your experience for the doom scrollers. A place, a vibe for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> subscribe right. now that's right <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready okay. i'm ready all right did we solve twitter have we solved it i mean i think that last one really saved our ass we'd be fired <laughs> that's provocative maybe. you know maybe maybe twitter well vibes we still have plenty of time i think if folks want to give us uh, their thoughts or advice if you're listening about fixing twitter We'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear some advice and thoughts. I mean, I think we're at the beginning of this journey. um, And clearly, we haven't figured everything out. We don't work at Twitter. We're not planning on working at Twitter anytime soon. Uh, So I'm not sure what we can do with all of your advice. But um, it'll be it'll be fun to hear it. I think it'd be a fun, uh, fun discourse for us to have. Hit us up on Twitter. And we'd love to talk about it. Okay. We fixed Twitter. We did it. I didn't do it over my head this time. I did it like I thought I heard it. Here. Okay. I I did clap. I did clap. It's just down here at the mic level, not up here like a J uncle. (laughs) And that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today, 
please support us by subscribing at our website, www.producthappyhour.com. There are two options, $5 a month and $30 a year for a Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year. You can help us keep this party going and keep ads off the pod. Thank you in advance for your support. You could also support the show by following the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also rate the show on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at Product Happy HR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. I'm out of wine. Wait. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.